Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Happy 2023! Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we don't want to get to 2024 yet. I wholeheartedly believe God has something special for you for 2023, even though there's one more day left, right? This is the last service of the year, right? But you're here, right? So you're already finishing strong. And uh, this morning, I get to share the word with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason, and I am so spoiled and privileged to be able to be the student pastor here at River Valley. Um, Yeah, we got... I'm telling you, it's crazy. God is so good. Um, This morning, I got a message for you, and I've titled it here, and before anybody corrects my grammar, I want to let you know it is spelled correctly based upon the message. It'll make sense as we go. The message this morning is titled, A True Masterpiece. And so some of y'all probably already know why I spell true that way. Uh, We're going to get there. But uh, I want to start off with asking a question, and this is not rhetorical. I want you to shout it out. We're going to pretend like we're at youth where everybody talks at the same time, right? Uh, You youth in here, I love you, and I'm good with it. Like, it's good. Okay, here's the question. What's a masterpiece? Me. <laughs> Tommy always has church answer. No, that's good. You're right. No, that's good. That's good. Don't pay attention to what he said yet, because he, he kind of gave it away. <laughs> I love you, Tommy. Um, what, what's a masterpiece? Come on now. Okay. I heard something over here. The sun's, oh, the sunrise this morning was bananas. It was a reminder that God is so good, right? We went out. Before worship practice started, uh, thank you, Jamie, for pointing it out. What are some other masterpieces? Come on now. A baby. Okay, okay. Uh, there we go. Y'all were so sentimental and beautiful and, and godly, and, and not that art can't be godly, but that's exactly where I wanted us to go, is I wanted you to say art, right? Matter of fact, I'm going to show you some masterpieces, okay? I'm going to put this one up on the screen first. Um, and usually to be a masterpiece when it comes to art... It needs to be something that's done exceptionally with no error. It needs to be done by uh, a famous uh, painter or artist that's going to be able to stand the test of time to be loved for generations, right? This is a picture of Lisa Gherardini. You guys know it probably as the Mona Lisa, right? Anybody ever heard of the Mona Lisa before? Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, cool. So this was painted by Leonardo da Vinci between 1503 and 1506, okay? Uh, And this was a famous painting. It was located in the Louvre, but it never became a masterpiece and the most famous painting until 1911. In 1911, a wee little man that worked for the Louvre before is going to come in and he's going to steal the Mona Lisa. And uh, his job before stealing the Mona Lisa was actually, he actually was part of the team that framed and put glass on the Mona Lisa, okay? And so he's going to come in knowing that the Louvre doesn't have much security, and uh, he's got a plan. He wears his white apron, which that's what they wore as a uniform back then at the, at the Louvre. And he's going to go in and he's going to hide in a closet until it closes. So he hides in the closet. They closes. Everybody leaves. He comes out of the closet, goes to the Mona Lisa, pulls it off the wall. And his plan is not to go out the front door because there might be some traffic. He's going to go down the staircase, out the back door. And so he makes his way out the staircase, down the staircase to the back door. He takes apart the Mona Lisa, takes the wood off, the glass off, rolls it up, sets it to the side, gets ready to open the door. Oh, crap. The door was locked from the inside. 
And he's freaking out. He's like, oh, no, what do I do? I'm going to get caught. And so he pulls out his tools, and he's starting to take the, the, the door apart, the door handle apart to get out. And all of a sudden, he hears these footsteps. He just figures he's busted. There was a plumber that worked at the Louvre that happened to still be in there. The plumber comes down, pulls out his keys, unlocks the door, and the wee little man walks out with the Mona Lisa. And so it was stolen in 1911. Uh, they didn't notice that it was stolen for a couple of days. It was a few days later. And the reason for that was is a lot of times paintings back then, they would take from the art gallery and they'd take it back and they would clean them and they would restore them, those kind of things. The artists would come in and want to take pictures. And so they just assumed it's being cleaned. Well, a particular artist came in uh, a couple of days later, said, went to the security guard and said, hey, I came for this reason. I need to see the Mona Lisa. So as the security guard is searching for the Mona Lisa... He goes down the staircase, and he sees the wood frame, and he sees the glass. And obviously, he's like, oh, no, we've been, it, it, we've been robbed. They, they've, someone stole the Mona Lisa. So they call the police. They lock down the building. They're checking every uh, uh, car, bus, train. They're questioning everybody they can, trying to figure out. They don't know when it, how long it's been gone. They don't know where it's at. Was is that uh, maybe it went back to Da Vinci's home, home country, Italy. Maybe it went to Russia. They, they just didn't know. All along, the wee little man lived just on the outskirts of Paris in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, for a couple years, the painting was just gone, and they, just, they, they gave up on it. Well, the wee little man decides he's going to sell the painting, and in process of doing this, the person he's it to isn't interested in buying it, is interested in turning him in. And so he gets turned in, and, and, and i got to pause for a moment, because in the process, something else happens. I almost forgot. I was so excited talking to you about the wee little man. So there was no leads at all. Like, they didn't know. So, so they just went back to anything they could think of. Well, there was this famous poet that actually, weeks before the Mona Lisa was stolen, had threatened to burn down the Louvre. And so they thought, we got to bring him in for questioning. It must be him. In the process of questioning him, there had also been, uh, before that, there had been statues that had been stolen. He actually implicated Pablo Picasso, the painter, as his helper. And so they actually arrested Pablo Picasso and this, this famous poet, thinking that they stole this. The problem was they had no evidence, so they had to release them. So now, we'll fast forward back to where I was at. I apologize. So, um, so here the wee little man selling the, the, the Mona Lisa. He gets busted. He gets pulled into the police station, and they ask him, like, bro, like, why'd you, why'd you steal the... Probably didn't say bro. That was probably not the language back then, but we'll, we'll modernize it. So why did you steal the Mona Lisa? And he says it was something about her smile. It was, it was something about her smile. Right? You look at the picture like, what? What smile? Maybe a smirk, right? He said, I, 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 it was her smile, and I hung it up on my wall, and every day after work I'd come home, and I fell in love with her smile. I fell in love with Lisa. Right? It was a masterpiece. It was a work of art to him, right? Anyway, so that's the Mona Lisa. We'll put that one aside. Let's go to another one. I got some more to share with you. This one kind of speaks for itself. It's the Last Supper, right? Da Vinci also painted this one as well, too. He painted it a few years before the Mona Lisa. We're going to go to another one. This is the PG version. Uh, Jamie actually just visited this statue not too long ago. It's a 17-foot statue, and it's meant to replicate David, David and Goliath. 17-foot statue made of marble. Uh, it, it was created 1501 to 1504 by Michelangelo. It sat in the middle of a, a town center, uh, and they wanted to preserve it. So they brought it in in Florence, Italy. They brought it into a museum. All right, we'll go to another one. I got a few for you. Starry Night. So I got to tell you, in high school as a kid, when I seen this picture, I'm like, 
that's art? Like, I could do that, and I, and I don't have no artistic bone in my body. When I was researching for these different works of art, this was super cool what I found out about, and maybe you already know. But this picture was painted from memory. Vincent van Gogh was actually in an asylum, uh, and he had a window that was east-facing. And he painted this from memory from being in that asylum. And they know that that was actual factual because every alignment in the sky would have been exactly what the sky would have looked like the night that he, that he referred to. And so this is Starry Night. All right, let's go to another one. Blackfire One. Who's heard of Blackfire One? You know what? I didn't think anybody would have, and Creed sat in the front and, uh, first service, and he heard of this. Blackfire One. You need to know about this. This is important. Okay, so uh, uh, Cathedra Barnett Newman painted this painting. It's, and it's not in air. Just as you see there, this exact, as a matter of fact, in a moment, we're going to have another look at it. But it was done in 1961. Before we put up the other picture, though, this picture sold in 2014. Take a guess how much it sold for. Five million, two million, okay. Y'all wouldn't have won this bid. <laughs> I wouldn't have gave a dollar, but I like that answer, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, check this out. Go to the next screen. Let's take another look. 2014, it sold for $84.2 million. Listen, I, I want to go to heaven as a pastor, right? I, wanna, I don't want to be morbid about it and say die on pulpit, but I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to retire. I, I'll finish in heaven, right? But just in case I need a second job or this doesn't work, I think I'm going to become a painter, right? Because that's, that's crazy, right? Okay, anyway, let's go on. I got one more for you. I'm going to show the location. This is in the Sistine Chapel of the Apostolic Palace in Vatican City. And there's masterpieces, works of art everywhere here. But what we want to focus on is we're going to focus on the next picture, which is the roof, okay? And I got to tell you, if you had to go preach in this place, probably nobody paid attention to the pastor with all this all over everywhere, right? Uh, this is actually called The Creation of Adam. It was painted by Michelangelo. And this is a portrait painting of God creating Adam out of the book of Genesis, right? Pretty awesome, right? Okay, so um, those were on the screen, but I just wonder, you guys want to maybe potentially see, potentially see a true masterpiece here in real life? You want to see one? Yeah? Oh, there was not much excitement about it. <laughs> Does anybody want to potentially see a true masterpiece? Okay. I got to need gloves for this because I don't want to mess it up, right? Now, I said potentially, okay? I got to tell you, First Service was much more excited about seeing this, too, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. You guys ready? Count down. Three, two, one. Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, let me tell you. And now, right off the bat, I got to tell you, I would take much less than $84.2 million. Okay, if you decide this is a masterpiece and you need to buy it, come talk to me. Um, but I'm not here to try to sell things. I'm here to share Jesus. Uh, this particular picture, I mean, you look at it and you see, and it's, it's a father's love for his daughter, right? It's, it's the daughter knowing that her daddy has her in his hands, right? Y'all see that? It's just beautiful, right? Okay. We're going to pause. We're going to come back to this. I'm going to have you help determine if you think it's really a true masterpiece. And real quick, let me just give away why it says true this way. This little girl right here, is no longer a little girl. She'll be here in third service. Second year in college, it's my daughter. Uh, she's probably seven years old here, I think, eight years old. Uh, her name is Angelise True Faith Wyatt. 
Her middle name is T-R-U, second word, Faith. So anytime she was doing good and things were good, which was most of the time because she was a good girl, I called her True. When she was bad, I'd say Angelis. And so um, that, that's for later. We're going to talk about that later. But uh, I have a question for you. We've showed this art. We've talked about world masterpiece. Tommy gave us a precursor to where we're going with this. What does God say? Because at the end of the day, it's what God says that matters. What does God say is a masterpiece? Go ahead, Tommy. Yes, you are. The answer is you are. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say you are a masterpiece. Okay, and this is not to butter you up. This is what God says. It's not my words, it's what God says, right? And so you are a masterpiece. Matter of fact, I want to validate it with Scripture just to start off with. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That word worksmanship and masterpiece can be replaced back and forth, right? His worksmanship. You are God's worksmanship. Look at your neighbor and say you're his worksmanship. Okay, good, good. And so, (coughs) excuse me. For a note taker, we're going to go to a section to be able to let you take notes for right now. I want to give you three points, three points that show that you are God's worksmanship, you're his masterpiece. Three points, okay? First point is because he created you. No one else, no one else could. God created you. Matter of fact, uh, on the sixth day of God creating the world was a super special day because he created you and I. Genesis 2 tells us. Genesis 1.26 tells us that he created us to rule over, to have authority over all the birds of the sky, the things in the sea, the animals on the ground, and every other creepy crawly thing there is. He created man and he created woman. He created you and he created I right? And uh, scripture to to throw up your way here is Genesis 2-7. Check this out. Take it a step further. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. We have the breath of life in us. We have God's breath in us. We are a masterpiece by that alone, because he created us, right? Everyone take a deep breath. Let it out. That's from God. Right? He gave you that. And we're still in 2023, not in 2024 yet, right? And you're called to finish strong. You don't have to wait for 2024. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go. But I just want you to think about that as we're, as we're going. You are God's worksmanship. You are God's masterpiece because he created you. The second point, verifying that you're God's worksmanship, you are his masterpiece, is because he paid for your sins. How many of y'all got a gift card at Christmas? How many of y'all got an H-E-B gift card? Come on now. My mom and dad are visiting. I haven't seen them in person. It's been like five, six years. And like one of the first places we wanted to do is take them to H-E-B. I know that's weird, but we're new to Texas still, right? And it's still amazing. We've been here for over a year. It's still amazing. Okay, so when you got that gift card, that gift card is valuable because it's been purchased, it's been activated, and you probably may even already used it, right? But if we were all to take a break, a field trip to H-E-B right now, and go in and just take the gift cards, H-E-B gift cards off the counter at the front, and come back here and share how much the value we had, it has zero value. The gift card is not valuable until it is purchased, it's activated, and just as important, it's used. 
we got invited uh, um, to an uh, event for Convoy of Hope, a weekend event where they kind of like wine and dined us and, and encouraged us. It was really cool. And it was at Pebble Beach. Any golfers in here? Yeah, like I said Pebble Beach and you probably guys, eyes lit up, right? And so I like to go to the driving range, but it, it's violent and it's not golf. Um, <laughs> so they invite us to Pebble Beach and there's a golf tournament. And uh, because I don't golf and I'm not going to be a part of the golf tournament, they gave us a $500 gift card to the gift shop at Pebble Beach. And so we checked in. My wife and I are excited. We set all of our bags down in our room. Uh, we're getting ready to go back down to the gift shop. We want to go spend the $500, burning a hole in our pocket, right? She says, make sure you grab the gift card. No, no, you grab it. You don't have the gift card? We had already lost it. It had been purchased. It had been activated, but it never got used. It has zero value, right? And so there's no good rest of that story. We lost our card. Someone else was blessed. But I bring that up to you to bring that up to you like this. As we talk about what God did for us that makes us masterpiece, he paid for our sin. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first, in case you don't know, were the first people here on earth, first, God, first of God's creation of humans. And they could do whatever they wanted to except for one thing, eat from one tree. Just, just don't eat from that one tree. And uh, you all probably say, easily say, oh, that's easy to do. If I could do everything else but eat from that one tree, I'm good. We know better. Human nature is we're all going to try to eat from that tree, right? So they eat from the tree, and when they eat from this tree, it introduces sin into the world, okay? When it introduced sin into the world, the problem with this was is it took God, God's worksmanship and his masterpiece, and it defiled it, right? Because sin was ruining his masterpiece, his worksmanship. And from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve... There was a need for our sins to be paid for. And we try a lot of times to pay for our own sins. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never surrendered to Jesus, that he died on the cross and the blood he shed covers your sins, and you're trying to do good things. You're trying to make up for mistakes you've made in your past. The problem is there's not enough we could do. We can't pay enough for, this, for our sins, but he can. And so from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, clear to us now, God has paid for our sins and continue to make us his masterpiece, his worksmanship. Amen? I want to go back to this picture, this beautiful, amazing picture. And again, anybody thinking about giving close to $84.2 million to me? Okay, okay. I'm just joking. Um, I want to go back to this picture because it, it is a beautiful picture, right? But I want to tell you the story behind this picture because I don't want to just preach to you and tell you, you need your sins forgiven. I want to show you, I just want to be very transparent and show you how much my sins need to be forgiven as well too. That I probably need more money, more blood of Jesus cover me than you. This was a morning that was a buildup. Finances were a little tight at this time. Um, everyone around us was getting photo shoots done. All of our family, we lived in California, all of our family lived in Wyoming, and uh, we didn't want them to know things were, were hard, and we wanted to be able to uh, present a good picture. It's kind of like social media. Your guys' social media that you're looking at and you're basing your resolutions on, a lot of times it's based on what's not real. It's a picture, right? So this picture that looks beautiful, back to this time. This morning it was California cold. So it wasn't really cold, but it was California cold. Um, Southern California cold. It was muddy. It was rainy. My wife and I had been arguing and bickering like cats and dogs. My little angel Angelise was probably, and I did say Angelise, was probably a little uh, bothered by what was going on. And we just couldn't get the right picture. And I can very specifically remember in saying this to her. Remember, remember, true when she's doing good, right? And she was doing good here. Angelise, can't you just stink and smile and act like you're happy? That doesn't sound very nice, right? 
That doesn't say what this picture says, right? This picture, when you see it, would say something completely different. But the reality is, is this was an ugly moment. From, from a worldview, if, if I never told you this story, this picture would be a beautiful picture, even if you didn't know us, right? It's just a daddy and his daughter. The reality is, is it, was, it was ugly to God. Here we are, God's masterpiece, his worksmanship, not being loving, not being kind, not being patient, having zero self-control, all for the gram. All, all so we can show off to everybody else, so we can pre present ourselves as something that we're not, right? I want to let you know when we have it all together, and we do have it all together at times, but it has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what God does in my life. And it's just a matter of me being willing to surrender and submit to Him and accept the payment that He's, done, he's paid for me already, to accept the payment of Him paying for my sins, of saying, you know what, I missed it, Lord, and I'm wrong. Uh, please forgive me. I want to take it a step further, and it's a little bit of a churchy word. Uh, we want to repent, and I want to tell you what that means. When you get in trouble and you say you're sorry, that just means you got caught. When you repent and ask for forgiveness, what you're saying to God is, I accept the payment you've made for my sins. It's going to cover my sins, and I'm going to turn from that sin, right? It doesn't mean you might not make a mistake again and go back and do the same thing again, potentially, but it does mean that you're recognizing that you don't want that in your life anymore. Because what he paid for is he paid for you to be a masterpiece, to be a worksmanship. The greatest masterpiece there is, is you, because he created you. Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to get to the third point in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to harp on this just a little bit longer on purpose. How many of y'all already made a New Year's resolution for 2024? Okay, there, yeah, there's only a couple. That's good. Most everybody in first service made New Year's resolutions, so okay, that's okay. I'm glad you guys did, and I'm not, whatever you made your resolution on, I encourage you to press forward. But I, I just want to challenge you to really think about this for the rest of service. We can be so focused on 2024, we miss 2023. And I realize it's over. We have less than 24 hours of 2023, but 2023 is still what is in front of us. And the Bible is so very clear, we're not promised tomorrow. Don't mean it in a morbid way. I'm just going to mean it what the Bible says. We are not promised tomorrow. You might not wake up tomorrow. You might be in eternity in heaven if you know Jesus tomorrow. But you do have today. And so often we say, we're going to wait and we're going to do this. I'm going to wait and go to church to do this. I'm going to wait to read my Bible to do this. I'm going to wait to have t family with my time to do this. I'm going to put off, you know, I'm going to eat like crazy and, and then I'm going to diet January 1st. For about a week, the gym's full. And then everybody goes back to normal, right? The reason is, is where, where, where your focus is at, where your heart is at with this, right? If you understand and know that you're God's masterpiece, you are his worksmanship, then you're, when you make your resolution, you're making it upon him. Does that make sense? And so I want to go to our third point because it's part of helping with the resolution here for you. Third point of you being God's worksmanship and his masterpiece. How do I know this? Because he continues to sanctify us. Now, I'm going to give you a scripture in a moment, but before I do, let me tell you the word sanctify because this is another churchy word, right? So if you're not a churchy person, like, what does sanctify mean? Um, sanctify is very simple. It means to be set apart. God sanctifies us, and what it means to be set apart is he sets us apart from the world. When we are of the world and we do not know Jesus, we've not surrendered to him, we're of the world. When we become a child of God and we surrender to Jesus, we accept the, that he paid for our sins, we know that he died on the cross and three days later God rose him from the dead. At that point uh, in the process, he sanctifies us because he sets us apart from everyone else. So check this out. Look at what John 17, 17 says. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I bring this scripture up to you to tell you how you can be sanctified. Anybody in the room in need of being sanctified? Amen. Come on now. My hand is up too. It always has to be up. He continues to sanctify us, and he does it through his word. And so this is the problem we can run into. A lot of times in America, because we're so, we have so many freedoms, is we check off the box by coming to church. And we are so happy you're here. We're so happy you're tuning in online as well, too. Didn't forget about you online, so sorry. Um, but so often, that's good enough. Come on Easter, come on Christmas. You showed up here New Year's Eve. And your Bible is just who's in front of you. The problem with that is that's not going to sanctify you. We're going to continue to share Bible. That's what we do. You get sanctified by the Bible by reading your Bible at home. And I want to give you a challenge for a resolution that I want us all to take and adopt, okay? And it'll be a simple one. I want to challenge you. If you don't own a Bible, I got some Bibles over here. We got some Bibles outside. Don't leave. We got one for you. But I want you to be able to read through the book of Proverbs in the month of July, or January. Wait till July. <laughs> there are 31 books, or 31 chapters in the, in the book of Proverbs. How many days are in January. 31. Each chapter in Proverbs takes less than five minutes. It's the book of wisdom. It's the book of knowledge. You won't have to pull out a, th a thesaurus. You won't have to look at your inner line. It's very simple. Very, very cut and dry. But I want you, if you would, can we all make this commitment? Raise your hand if you're willing to commit to this right now. Everybody's hand is up. And if your hand is not up, I seen your hand was up. So I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, I'm holding you accountable. Read through the book of Proverbs on day one, chapter one, day two, chapter two, day three, chapter three, and so on. So simple. God will sanctify you as you read through that, right? And what he's doing is he's, he's making you the worksmanship, it's his worksmanship, and he's making you the masterpiece that you are. See, what we're called to do is we're called to leave these doors, being his masterpiece for the world, so they can see how glorious and amazing he is. Amen? And so we get to do that. We get to walk around as a masterpiece, and it's priceless. And so uh, we're going finish, gonna to finish with this. I'm going to read some scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, says this, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one could boast. I'm going to put verse number 10 up there. And as they're putting verse 10 up there, if you guys would do me a favor and stand up. I'm going to slow down in reading this, because I talk too fast sometimes. We're going to read this together. And our worship team is making their way. I'm going to give some direction on uh, finishing service and finishing strong here. But we're going to read this. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You are, you are his masterpiece, his worksmanship, created for good works, for his glory. And maybe you're sitting in here and, you've and you're in church for the first time, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, and you have never surrendered to Jesus. You've never experienced the freedom of knowing that you have eternity in heaven and that your sins are forgiven. You're going to have an opportunity here in a moment when we go into our last song of worship. 
I'm going to encourage you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to raise your hand. It's not about embarrassing you. But if you're here right now and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you've never accepted that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins, and that he died on the cross, and three days later God rose him from the dead, and you're ready to do that today to secure your eternity, just talk to God when we worship. And if you do that, do me a favor. Let the person you came with know you've done that, okay? Because we want to celebrate that. We want to let you know what the next stage is. Or come talk with me or one of our other staff members that you've done that. For everybody else, it is still 2023. If you are a child of God and you've already surrendered to Jesus, you probably walked in here with carrying something heavy uh, because life is not easy. Maybe you came in and and, and you've had some family issues. Maybe you come in and, and, and health has been a problem. Maybe you come in and you just, you're having a hard time knowing that God is in front of you. When we get ready to worship, when we sing this song, this altar is open. We're not going to do it weird. We're not going to be goofy about it. We're going to take it serious. This altar is open, and I challenge you and encourage you to step out and not worry about what anybody else has to say, who's next to you, who's watching, for you to come up and make that right with God, to turn that over to God. Accept that he paid the cost for for where we miss it. And accept that he created you to be a masterpiece for his glory. Can we do that? All right, let's worship. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.